Welcome to The Change Alchemist. Today's guest is none other than Ziad Ahmed, a 22-year-old student, entrepreneur, and speaker. He is the CEO and co-founder of Juve Consulting, a Gen Z consultancy that works with clients to help them reach young people. The company has over 20 Fortune 500 companies and has been profiled by the New York Times and has established full-time offices. Ziad has spoken for international audiences everywhere, from Moscow to Mexico to major Fortune 500 companies. He's appeared on networks like CNN to talk about politics. He's established himself as a voice on Gen Z and has been named a top 15 young prodigy changing the world by Business Insider. Ziad's also a student at Yale University. Additionally, Ziad is the founder of Redefy, which is a youth-run nonprofit committed to furthering equality. He's also done significant work in the realms of advocacy, community service, creative expression, and beyond. He often speaks on the power of his generation, Gen Z, and is constantly working towards fighting for a better tomorrow. Welcome to the show, Ziad. It's so wonderful to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So Ziad, uh, maybe you could tell me a little bit about yourself. You're 21, the youngest yeah. guest on this show, uh, but you're a CEO already and um, still in school. What do yes. you do right now? What school do you go to? What do you do? Yeah, so I'm 21 years old. I'm a current senior at Yale, studying, focusing my research on social media's impact on policy. I am the CEO and co-founder of Truth Consulting, which is a Gen Z company that works with clients to help you know, our clients better understand and connect with young people. And we co-create products, campaigns, and ideas that actually resonate with our generation from a purpose-driven perspective. We exist to empower young people. And that's what I spend my days, you know, trying to hustle to do. I started Juve on the heels of starting a nonprofit when I was in eighth grade uh, called Redefy, which creates resources and information to make communities and schools more equitable and inclusive. And as a result of founding Redefy, I quickly found myself in rooms that I never could have imagined at the White House with industry leaders and beyond, where I realized how often people were asking questions about people, but not talking to young people. Um, and so I wanted to fix that. And that's what prompted me to start Juve. And so now I uh, you know, spend my days going to school, running the business, and we've grown a lot over the last five years. And it's been quite the roller coaster uh, of a journey. And then also, you know, trying to use my platform and voice to speak about, about the issues that I care about and to spend my privilege to show up for them. I'm um, just trying to be a decent human who's living and learning and, and, and laughing and taking one day at a time. But yeah, I'm excited to be here and, and, and to contribute to this conversation. Tell me, if you will, that aha moment that kind of made you start re Redefy, right? That was the first yeah. step yeah. in the direction you're in today. Yeah. So look, as an American Muslim, as a progressive, as a student, as a human, I, I grew up in a world where I think like many of us, I was troubled by what I saw around me, right? And I was troubled by this notion that in my hallways at school, People were being othered because of who society thought they should be. Um, and it wasn't one aha moment, right? It wasn't like, oh, I was so discriminated against, let me do this. It was a lifetime of seeing how people thought about Islam and seeing how people treated my black friends and my queer friends and my female friends and you know, seeing how unfair the world was and how unfairly the world often treats people who are different or go against the grain or veer from the status quo. And I saw how often it was happening in my hallways, not out of malice, but out of ignorance. People weren't like, you know what, let me choose to be mean, you know, today. They were like, 
I don't know how to interact with people who are different than me. And so I wanted to create a space where we could tackle identity and current events and stereotypes because they affect us so deeply as students, but our schools oftentimes do a really terrible job at creating infrastructure for us to tackle those things in school. And so I wanted to create that infrastructure and I had no idea what I was doing, um, but I saw a problem and I felt uniquely privileged and positioned to do something about it. And so I got together with some friends and did, and, and here we are today. Yeah, I don't know, that's sort of how it went. And, and what, what mountains did you have to move in order to do that? Look, I, I am, I've been so privileged and lucky in my journey, right? And, and I center my story in that. But, but obviously, like anyone, there were obstacles and, and naysayers and, and doubters and haters and whatnot. And I've learned from all of the above. Look, I, I, I think I was really lucky from a timing point of view insofar as Social media, Instagram had just started taking off at this time. Right? This was, I feel so old. I'm 21 now, almost 22. <laughs> I, was, I was 13 at the time. Um, and this was like 2013, right? 2012 is when I started having, you know, started working on Radio 5. And I, I, I think that, you know, we were able to surmount a lot of the conventional barriers that young people face because social media allowed us to galvanize the masses very quickly, right? We got over a thousand hits on our website the first day that we launched, which in today's numbers maybe isn't so much, but at the time it was like, wow, like I was a random ninth grader. It was September of my ninth grade year and we officially launched and people were listening, right? And so I think that we moved a lot of mountains by leaning into technology to allow us to unite and to tell our story. Um, and to tell each other about ourselves. Um, and I also think that I had the most, you know, phenomenal group of people around me that challenged me and pushed me to be better. And I think through mentorship and, and through teamwork and through technology, we were able to, to surmount the naysayers and, and the people who were like, who are, what are you guys to be doing this anyway? And you guys are too young and you don't know what you're talking about. I, I, I certainly, buy in to you know the the rhetoric around be so good that they can't ignore you right and that's what we tried to do and i think what's gotten me here yeah so fast forward to uh, 2020 um you're the ceo of juve yeah Can tell us a little bit about what um your company does yeah so we work with clients right to help them better understand gen z and and, and actually empower gen z and so we have three verticals of services ranging from research to strategy to implementation, right, in the marketing advertising purpose space, where we help tell stories and give advice and strategic thinking and insights that ultimately position our clients, whether they be nonprofits or political campaigns or companies to best empower our generation and to understand us. And if you want to serve us, then you should work with us to serve us, right? And that the world looks better and diverse young people seat at the table. So we're just hustling to make that world possible day in and day out and have had a lot of success doing so. And so I spend my days, you know, uh, managing the most phenomenal team of young people in the world who dream so big and, and, and make magic happen and work with so much conviction and honesty and innovation. And I just feel really lucky to do what I do. How big is your company? So in terms of people. Yeah, so we're a team of around, you know, 15 of us who work full-time approximately. <laughs> and we are, a, you know, we have a broader team around 100 young people who work part-time and uh, as contractors to 
co-create products, campaigns, and ideas with our clients. And we have a network of 3,000 plus young people that we tap into for insights and events and things like that. So it, there's a lot of young people involved, but there's around 15 of us who like run the company, if you will. You talk about social media like it was another language, right? Just being a Gen Zer. So yeah. tell me, tell me how a Gen Zer would view social media differently from a millennial, for example. Yeah. So the way that I think about how Gen Z thinks about social media differently than millennials is millennials grew up as digital natives, right? They grew up in a world where things turned on and off, right? Gen Z grew up as social media natives, right? We grew up in a world where since we exited the womb, we've been instantaneously connected to every single person we ever met, right? And this fluency regarding social media, we don't think about it as a tool, we think about it as a language, right? Millennials use you know, social media maybe the first time in college to reconnect with old friends. And it was a functional use case, right? Regarding reconnection, sharing life updates, et cetera. I think for a lot of Gen Z, it's not really a use case, it's a language that we speak. English, sure, can be used to reconnect or to communicate or to build identity, but we don't really think about it that way. It just, it's what we speak. That's how the world works, right? It's whatever language you speak, it's how you get through each day. It's just a part of you, part of your existence. I think social media similarly, right? Um, for a lot of Gen Z, it's just another language that we speak and it's, it's defined so much of how our society operates. And so, yes, we use it to build identity. We use it to hurt, to empower, to, to experience. And it's just the world that we live in and whether we like it or not, and whether we use it a lot or a little, it governs a lot of how our social spaces and our professional spaces and our lives in, in, in different ways. And so I think that that's really unique to Gen Z and has manifested into a, a shifted politic shifted habits and beyond and so far as when I go to the polls and you better believe that I go to the polls right <laughs> I'm not just thinking of people who live on my street I'm thinking about the thousands of people I'm connected to online and how my vote impacts their reality where that's that sense of interconnectedness that sense of intersectionality I think is really core to who Gen Z is we think in terms of we right where this idea of where right? we lean into this idea of there are so many of us that we can connect with digitally and learn from and build community with. And I think that's a really powerful component of our generation that social media has enabled. Certainly, we're still living in times characterized by polarization and division, but whatever us versus them narrative exists, we're claiming more of us as us. And I'm hopeful that, that we keep doing that and that our, the idea of us just keeps on growing, growing and growing rather than the reverse. So you talk about this notion of us and interconnectedness. I think that's great. And I think that's a positive uh, way to look at it, maybe even idealistic. Now, social media has another ugly face, as you're well aware, and has, has been shown in several documentaries and you know, shows we keep seeing. Black Mirror, for example, has, has an episode where you can, you can pretty much game anything with social media. So what's your view? As a marketer, you wield a weapon maybe that's pretty powerful. Yeah. What guardrails should we have in order to work with social media, if you will? And, and how do you enforce it? So, so, so first of all, I, I would say that I'm deeply concerned about the state of social media, about the digital world, about this moment that we're living in. And I'm concerned about the misinformation, the cyberbullying, um, the monetization, right? The privacy, you know, infringements, you know, all of the above. I, I think there's systemic problems with, with the digital landscape that we're living in. I think that we need a massive overhaul of the social media platforms that we have in terms of 
rewriting algorithms, reprioritizing consumer over advertiser in terms of, you know, cracking down on misinformation and, and, and in terms of empowering the best of us instead of the worst of us. And so I think that radical action needs to be taken insofar as the government regulating these platforms and insofar as these platforms regulating themselves to to be better and to have a net positive impact on society because I am concerned uh, deeply about this moment that we've come to and I think that we have to do a lot better and we have to demand a lot better of these platforms but look, I don't think that the concept of social media is going anywhere whether it's Facebook or the next one that comes out after it or some evolution of what we have right now, I don't think this language is evaporating, right? And so the way that I think about it as a marketer, somebody who's in this field as, as a researcher of social media is, it exists. So we ought to make it better. And we ought to use these tools more responsibly and set the model of what it looks like to be respectful and positive and constructive in these spaces. And so that's what I'm interested in doing as an individual as a company and with our clients. We know the tremendous power of these tools. How do we use them for good, right? How do we uplift stories that matter? How do we make people feel better and more seen and more heard and inspired? Because we know that social media is a double-edged sword. It can be the best thing in the world or the worst thing in the world. And much like English, right? The power of words can make you feel so seen and heard and inspired or so small and hurt and defeated. And, and, and similarly, when I think about social media, I think of it in that same way. And so I hope that we can tap into the community it can build and the stories that it can tell and the inspiration that it can wield and yield. And so that's what I'm interested in doing day in and day out. That's great. So what campaigns stand out in your mind from what you've done with your clients, for example, with social media? Yeah. So like an example of a campaign that we worked on that I'm pretty proud of is, is one that we did with Jansport in March of 2020, just as sort of schools were shutting down and, you know, all like, what the hell is happening? Like, how long is this going to go on for? Uh, I had lunch sort of right before we stopped going to lunch with people, with, with my clients and my friends at Jansport. We were talking about my school had just announced we were going virtual for you know, two weeks after spring break. And we weren't sure how long that was going to last and all these things. And in 10 days from that conversation, we turned around the Unpack That Challenge in 10 days, uh, which was a campaign where you unpacked your backpack to set up your new life at home because um, <laughs> that is what we had to do, right? And our transport backpack didn't have as much use going to school every day. So we were unpacking our new lives. And through that campaign attached to it was also a give of 12,500 backpacks to World Central Kitchen with necessities in them. And, you know, it was, we had each, we were for 10 diverse influencers across TikTok, many of them had never done a branded campaign before and had to make two videos, one doing this, you know, sort of feel good but like resonant campaign of like here's my new life but like let's make it cute let's make it count because this is what we got and we got to keep chugging along and then in a second video talking about how this is a really like scary and sad moment and we need to show up for one another and be kind and give and that's why this give aspect of the campaign was so important and the campaign was so successful that people made Jansport stan accounts on TikTok and people in ad age covered it and whatnot. And I think it really speaks to what can happen when you partner with diverse young people to understand intimately what we're going through. So we come up with ideas that are resonant with our experience, right? We understand the digital platforms that are popular, such as TikTok. And most, you know, listening might remember that in March 2020, TikTok was not, you know, as ubiquitous in our vernacular as it is now and re relatively way fewer 
companies were actually activating on the platform. And so we leverage our understanding of the platform and then the influencer space, many of whom are my friends personally, our company's friends personally, to activate a really meaningful and resonant campaign that also integrated purpose, which is I think exactly what this moment demands. And always our Gen Z is demanding is that we integrate purpose and give into everything that we're doing. And so I think it's a it's a pretty compelling case that in so far as you know what Gen Z is capable of and what is and what Juve is capable of. Great. Um, so maybe we could take a slight tangent here to talk about the pandemic and how social media has played a big role in the pandemic. It's made stars out of companies like Zoom, for example. And social media itself has taken off. I watch Nespresso TikToks because I like doing that. So yeah. it's gone beyond Gen Z now. Social media has become, I guess, democratized now. It's democratized kind of the viewing habits of people. Tell me in your own uh, words, in the research you've done with social media, how the pandemic may have accelerated the reach of social media. Yeah, look, I... So many of my friends were not on TikTok pre-pandemic and now everyone's on TikTok. And I think that the pandemic made us all change our digital habits, right? I used House Party, an app that like wasn't popular, you know, for years for like 50 hours a week, some weeks, which is crazy, um, right? Chatting with my friends and whatnot and being in this world where it's, we ought to be social distancing to the extent possible and being safe and leaning into the virtual wherever possible in the digital has made us all reconsider where do we get value and fulfillment from our digital platforms. And so, yeah, I think a lot more of us had spent time on Instagram or, or TikTok or even Tinder or whatever the other platforms might be. I think it's been a really individual thing for each person. For some people, it's also made them take a step back, right? And be like, this is too much, right? This is not me. And for other people, it's been like, I love TikTok and I can't get enough of it, right? And so I think it, it depends on person to person, but we certainly see people spend more time on average on, on their phones and more time on average on TikTok. And TikTok's user numbers have skyrocketed in America in the last year. And so we've seen a massive adoption of digital platforms, a tremendous rise in downloads of specific apps, whether they be like productivity apps or social networking apps or et cetera. What I think people get wrong, you know, transitioning a little bit to future of work is they see Gen Z's adeptness at these platforms. We love TikTok, we love you know, texting, whatever. And, and, and we're good at it. We're good at you know, Zoom. We, don't, we're not my, we know how to unmute and unmute, unlike my grandparents, and we know how to use the platforms, whatever. To mean that it's what we want. People take our adeptness as, as an indication that we want the world to stay this way, right? And so many companies have gone fully virtual for the foreseeable future. But I don't think that's the case. Like we did a, we just polled our internal team. 80% plus of our team said they want to go into the office three days a week or more once it's safe to do so. We want to meet potential soulmates by the microwave, right? We want to meet new <laughs> friends getting drinks after work, right? Like we want these human experiences and I, and just because we're good at the digital doesn't mean that we don't yearn for the physical. And I also think that like this idea of the physical and digital being separable is is fraught with Gen Z. I think we're leaning toward a digital world, right? We're like, the digital empowers the physical and the physical empowers the digital and they're, they're not separable from one another, right? And so I think that as I think of the future of work, I think about a world that has flexibility where like, no one should be forced to come into the office if they don't need to be, right? And, 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 and there should be flexibility and compassion in the workplace, but there should absolutely be a workplace, I think for Gen Z, because we wanna meet people and get to know people and there is no substitute we're feeling someone's heart beat in the same space that your heart is beating, I think, anyway. And so while, yeah, we love TikTok, 
I don't think we love it more uh, than laughing with your best friend right next to you, if that makes sense. I love that. I love that. I think just like AI and people, AI will never replace people. It's man and machine. It's digital and physical. Yeah. So it's going to be a good combination of the two. And that's hard for some people to grok, um, which kind of leads me to a, a question about how you would define um, Gen Z, millennials, uh, baby boomers. If you were to put your Gen Z marketing hat on, um, yeah. tell me a little bit about how you would segment these um, different uh, d- demographically and psychographically. Yeah. So look, I, of course, I'm always weary to, to, to talk about Gen Z as a monolith, right? And it, I want to recognize the diversity of experience and limitations in my own perspective. That said, the way that we define Gen Z as a company um, is those ages 19, for those born from 1996-2010, making your older generations are 23 or 24, younger generations are around 10 years old. Psychographically, you know, I, I've alluded to some of these points. I think that we're social media natives, right? Uh, we have a pluralistic mindset, on average, more so than I think generations before us, as a result of having more exposure to more communities and more voices. And I think that the digital tools that we've had access to have empowered us to make our critique of society, which I think every young generation has had, mainstream. It doesn't take Kent State for us to be hurt. It takes one tweet to bring down Fire Festival, right? And so subsequently, with that power that we have, I think that we've been able to have an outsized impact right? Because we control so much of our digital platforms in terms of we are the leading voices on these digital platforms to set the narrative around popular culture, public discourse, politics, and beyond. Um, and so I think psychographically, we are a really empowered and, and outspoken generation and one that wields and yields a tremendous amount of power, whether that be spending power or in numbers with a large generation in the world at 32% of the world's population, right? Um, we control hundreds of billion dollars in spending power. We make up ridiculous percent of the media audience, given how much time we spend on social media and media. These are not small things. And so I think that we are distinct because of the world events that we've lived through. Our lifetime has been bookmarked by 9-11 and coronavirus so far. And there's been a great deal of chaos in between. And so I think that we've been shaped by the amount that we've been let down by the institutions that were supposed to serve us. And I think we've been shaped by uh, the world around us. Right. And, and we've been shaped by you know, the digital tools that we have access to that have allowed us to connect with more and to speak out more. And would you say a Gen Zer in the U.S. would be very different from a Gen Zer, let's say, in maybe pick pick a country, uh, Belgium? Yes and no is the answer, right? Like, of course, I speak from an American perspective. I speak from a privileged perspective, and my understanding of my generation is skewed, right? Just like anyone's is. Um, I, of course, read a great deal of data on international Gen Z and the many different diversity of Gen Zers that exist. Um, and talk to Gen Zers from all around the world. And what I would say is there are certainly massive differences depending on geography and region and, and socioeconomic status and all of these things and gender and race and, and all of these cleavages impact our, our existence, right? Every single day. But I think more unites us than any other generation, right? I, I, we, many of us internationally across all cleavages, we follow the same influencers, right? We might see the same viral TikTok, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have the same meme format, right? So I think we're more connected and more similar culturally than any generation before us, but that doesn't mean that we don't have incredible nuance and regional differences that ought to be thoughtfully considered. I'd love to hear about the future of marketing as you see it. Um, the reason I ask is the concept of influencers has become like ubiquitous now, even in companies like mine, which are B2B tech companies. And I see this happen every day, right? I I've seen the number of boba shops in my neighborhood and I hear brown sugar boba is trending now. 
And it's a thing. And I said, is it a thing just in Cupertino? Because we have a huge Asian population, but no, it seems to be a thing. So how does, how does something like this happen? I mean, just as an example, um, if an influencer has influence over people's drinking and eating habits, that's huge. Um, I'd love your thoughts on how this, this happens from a marketing standpoint. So I think that the future of marketing um, is is built upon my ethos as a human, I think, which is not, I don't think it's because it's my ethos. I think they're, they happen to be consistent, um, which is um, the expert on any reality is the person closest to that reality, right? Um, I think so long in marketing, people have depended on white papers to understand full groups of people. Instead of actually talking to communities, empowering and hiring and, 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 and commun- you know, people, folks from communities and making them decision makers and leaders. I think that we will see that shift in, in, in huge ways. And, and that translates to the influencer question because I think people trust people on their experience. And so when we follow somebody and they consistently tell us authentic stories about their lived experience, that makes them trustworthy. And so when they tell me, like, in my experience, this worked for my skin or this worked for my health. And I love this person and I follow this person. Like, I might try it. Why not? Right? And so I think that we're, we're entering a moment of influence of marketing where we don't need secondary sources to vet things for us. We trust people on their experience. Right? We don't need Vogue to tell us something's hot. Right? Um, we just can feel that something's hot through connecting with each other. Right? And, 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 and through building authentic relationships with people digitally or in person. Um, and so I think that's where culture is headed. So um, influencers are people that are active on social media. Would that be, or have a huge following on social media? Would that be a definition? Uh, I mean, look, I, there's no one definition of influencer. <laughs> I think that an influencer is someone who has influence, right? Um, I think everyone's an influencer in their own right because we all have influence over something or someone. But I mean, the way that we conventionally define it, yeah, is somebody who has social media following in some capacity. But I don't think there's one mold of influencer. They come in so many different shapes and sizes and in capacities, um, but all really vibrant uh, and I think important in terms of shaping the cultural fabric of our country and world. So when you look at a marketing mix um, in your campaign, as you kind of evolve to a new model yeah. um, and with a Gen Z uh, lens in place, would you then use social media exclusively or would you use other uh, tools in the marketing mix as well? So we definitely focus on social media heavily as a company. However, I certainly think there's a role to play for all sorts of, of, of messaging, of marketing, whether that be, you know, in-person activations and experiences or, or conventional out-of-home advertising, right, or uh, TV, right, or, you know, product placement or website or, you know, SEO. There's so many different ways and places and spaces that I think can be impactful to reaching Gen Z. Um, I think at the end of the day, it needs to be authentic, right? It needs to be true of your why and your story and it needs to mean something. It needs to actually work. And I think what we, you know, we're pushing for. Tell us, if you will, about your superpower. Um, if there's one thing that you uh, think you're really good at and that's helped you, what would that be? I think having a superhero for a mom. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I, I guess I would say is... I'm really lucky to be my, you know, all the things that I'm lucky to be, it's to be my mother's son and my nanny's grandson. Um, so that's what came to mind first, but uh, I suppose other superpowers would be 
And I'd rather like to talk and I'd like to think I'm not so bad at it. So I think, you know, having, being raised by, you know, strong women and being able to chat a little bit has, has, has been helpful to me in my journey. Fantastic. Are there books that have influenced you along the way? I really wish I read. I really wish I could tell you that I read books, but I have not read a book for not for school in well over a year. So I'm not proud to say that, but I mean, certainly I used to read a lot. I used to read a lot, a lot. Um, but I can't say that one book has really, actually a lot of books are school that have shaped my thinking a lot because I also take classes that are like relevant to my life. But I, I guess like one piece of literature that I think about a lot is, uh, you know, Audrey Lord's um, speech that she gave, you know, where she, you know, you can't tear down the master's house with the master's tools. And it's something that I come back to a lot as I think about, you know, the efficacy of my own work and if it's enough and what it would take to, to, to tear down the master's house and to build a world that actually works for all of us. And so um, that's a piece of scholarship and, 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 and reading that, that I think about often, but there's so much, you know, uh, good literature, art out there that makes me think, that has stretched me in my thinking, that I'm really grateful for. And I'm really grateful to have such an access to such extraordinary educational opportunities that allowed me to be the person that I am. So some of the speakers on my podcast have mentioned that the concept of jobs is dead. Um, people are looking for experiences and especially Gen Zers will have several careers in their lifetime. As you think about your own career, you've had two, two companies you've started already. What's next for you? So look, I started yeah, a nonprofit and I've started a, a company and I've also worked in different capacities for various movements and political campaigns and you know, different initiatives. And I'm a full-time student as well. Uh, and, and I also, you know, have an okay following on social media. And so I, I do do, I have done you know, influencer type things in the past. And I have, you know, I also do public speaking quite a bit. So I, yeah, I, I would say I, I wear many hats. And I think that's characteristic of Gen Z. We, many of us wear many hats and life isn't linear, right? And so I think that uh, we will see more people embrace this idea that we don't have to choose. Like we can have our cake and eat it too. Like uh, I have grown a company, right? To this, to have full-time offices and stuff while being a full-time student. And a lot of people told me it wasn't possible that I would have to choose. And I have one more semester left and I have maintained a good GPA and I have <laughs> been on the board of student groups and I have competed on Model UN and ran a business and worked for political campaigns all at once. And it, was it tiring? Absolutely. Would I recommend it? Probably not. But is it possible? Yes. And so I think that we're embracing the possibility of the world, but it isn't to say that I think jobs are disappearing. And I think that we will still, many of us be employed and other ones of us you know, embrace the gig economy and you know, just freelance and whatnot. But I think what we expect out of a job is, is flexibility, is empowerment, is this idea that like, I am not a worse employee because I do other things too. I love that so many of my employees have podcasts and other initiatives and you know, they're, they're full people with full stories and full interests and that empowers them to be better at their jobs, to be better at their work because they don't feel limited or trapped, right? And I don't think any of us want to feel limited or trapped or uninspired. So whatever keeps us inspired, keeps us happy, keeps us fulfilled, we ought to do that, right? And so I think that we are a generation that is claiming that. And I think millennials fought a lot of battles for us and said, I can be whoever I want to be. And we're saying, yeah, I can be, but I'm going to find somebody who wants to be that weird with me and we're going to be it together. And so I think that's what we're doing right now. And so we'll see a future of work where we're demanding purpose and flexibility and equality and equity and justice in the workplace. And 
workplaces that allow us to be our full selves with our baggage, with our identity, with our politics in the workforce, and, and ones that allow us to pursue the many things that we are simultaneously, because I think we are all tired of being put in boxes. And what I always say is that it requires ruffling feathers to fly, right? Um, and so that's what I think or we intend to do, to fly. Well said. Um, if you were to leave our listeners with three pieces of advice, what would they be? I get one, listen to young people, listen to diverse young people, um, empower them. Uh, two, I, I would say know your why and, and, and every decision that you make should connect back to that why, right? For us as a company, it's we exist to empower young people. So every decision that I make, I'm asking myself, does this empower or disempower young people? And, and I think three, uh, this is advice that I usually give other young people, but I guess we all need to hear it in some way, I think. I think in, we are often made to feel that we're either everything or we're nothing, right? Like either we have everything perfect, our, our careers and our love life and our family lives and our social lives and, and, and everything, or we fail and it's all for nothing. And what I'm trying to learn is that it's okay just to be something, right? That we're never going to be nothing and we're never going to be everything and that's okay. It's okay just to be something and, and, and learning to love the something that you are. Is I guess the journey that I'm on and, and that I think we all are on. But I think that's okay. And yeah. I Sage guess advice okay. from a 21-year-old. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. Now, where can people find more information about you? Uh, what are your handles, um, website, company name, yeah. all, all the good stuff? So I'm Ziad Ahmed, Z-I-A-D-A-H-M-E-D, and I am at Ziad Ahmed across social media, and my website is ziadahmed.com me.me. Um, my company is Juve Consulting, Juve, J-U-V, which is the root word of youth in Latin. So Juve Consulting, you can reach, find us at Juve Consulting across social media or juveconsulting.com and then Redefy, R-E-D-E-F-Y is my nonprofit. And you can find us at redefy.org or we redefy, W-E-R-E-D-E-F-Y across social media. And you can reach me by email at contacttheautomat at gmail.com and would love to keep the conversation going with as many people as possible. The best part of what I do is getting to meet new phenomenal people and being stretched in my thinking with new thoughts and ideas and perspective. Thank you, Ziad. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. No, thank you so much for having me. I hope that you are staying safe and well, and I hope that everyone listening is staying safe and well, and I'm going to have a blessed new year because I think we could all use a better 2021 than we had in 2020. Thanks, Ziad. Thank Thank you for listening to this episode of The Change Alchemist. If you enjoyed this show, please tell a friend, subscribe on iTunes or any platform of your choice, and stay tuned for another episode next week. Thank you.